I'd like to welcome you to the ministry of McCormick's Creek Church. We certainly hope that you will enjoy this selection. To uh, Exodus chapter 1, I'm going to be uh, reading out of Exodus 1, and then I'm going to be reading out of Exodus chapter 2. While you're doing that, let me ask you a question. We, we sang the song, Jesus, I Believe in You. So the question then begs, um, do you believe him enough to fight your giants? Do you believe in him enough to fight your, your, your battles that you face at work? Do you believe in him enough to face the struggle Oh, we, we read our stories in the Old Testament. We read the great acts of faith of Peter who says, Lord, if, if it's you, bid me come. Do we believe enough in Jesus this morning to, to say, God, if you're real, bid me come? Would be, we be the one to have enough faith, like Peter, to step on the water? Just thoughts to ponder. Exodus 1, starting with verse 22. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. Going to Exodus chapter 2, starting with verse 1, and reading down to verse 10. And there went a house, excuse me, and there went a man of the house of Levi, and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him, that he was a goodly child, she hid him for three months. And when she had, could no longer hide him, she took him and took for him an ark of bulrushes, and daubed it with slime and with pitch. And put the child therein, and she laid in the flags, and she laid it in the flags by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done unto him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side, and when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. And she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews', Hebrews children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And daughter's Pharaoh said, or excuse me, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it, and the child grew. And she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses. And said, she said, Because I drew him out of the water. I'm going to read just out of the book of Judges, just a few books over. I'm going to be reading out of Judges 2, 8 through 10. And it says this, And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And the Lord buried him in the border of his inheritance, in the Tamarese, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the side, north side of the hill Geesh. 
And also all that generation that were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation of them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. With the help of the Lord this morning, I would like to present to you this message called the Judges' Generation. Except for the young people, I would like to have everybody sit down. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, I promise you. And it'll just be for a minute. In the context of the scriptures that we have just read, let me ask this congregation a few questions. Are you and I, the Joshua generation... As you look upon these young people, are these, jo- these young people are judges' generation. What is the value of these young people that are before us? How do we hold them and how, do, how does the church see them? Is the age of the Christian family over? Or for that idea, or that fact, is the idea of family over with altogether? You guys can be seated now. As we look upon this generation of young people, we know that t- the time is near. We know that um, soon, soon, very soon, that one day the Lord is going to send the sound of the trumpet across the airways of our generation and all those who are in Christ Jesus are going to rise and those who are alive and remaining, they'll be caught up with Him in the air. But we are living in a time right now where there's something that lays in the balance of life. You see, in this this room right now, there are two generations of people. Which generation that is before us is the last generation, the last Christian generation? Is it you or I, or is it these who are sitting before us? Only time will tell. You see, we've been teaching this quarter on the issues of family and and, and the family structure. And then we have tightened our focus upon parents of children who uh, fill different roles within the functions of the family. We've talked about parents as, as trainers of children. We've talked about parents as encouragers. We've talked about parents as role models for children. And today I'm teaching you, or talking to you this morning, about the idea of parents as protectors and providers. As we have read in chapters 1 and 2, it tells the story of, chapters 1 and 2 of Exodus, it it really tells the story of of, of a young couple who have had a child and as they brought that child into the world, they, they did all that they could to prepare that child and take care of that child. And then when that child got to a point where they could no longer take care of it, they did, that mother took and did all that she could to prepare that child for the next experience in his life. Will he live or will he die? He, his mother did not know. He just, she just did what she could to prepare for that next generation. 
She did what she could to prepare for her son. And then she led the rest, left the rest in the hands of God. Part of the reason that parents work today is not just to provide for the necessities of life. It's not just to provide for food and shelter and clothing for themselves, but they also do it for their families. So how do we as parents prepare our children for a future society that is coming or that is now here that they are facing? This generation, this young generation that is, that is before us this morning faced a whole lot more than what you and I have ever faced. The, 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 the intransigence of, of, of the teaching, the intransigence of, uh, of, of all the indoctrinations that society is using to subvert and seduce our children into giving up on churches is at its peak. It's well placed. It's, it's well hidden. We are at a turning point in our lives in this country. And we need to know what we can do. What, what are we going to do with, with, with this generation of young people? How can we help this young, young generation to, 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 to be able to survive what is coming their way? As I was preparing for this lesson in, in, in the manual, the, the problem it, it, it caused me was, it, it caused me to have more questions than answers. And so I, I, I had to try to do something with it. I had to figure out how to, how to prepare this, this lesson. I had to come up with a different way of teaching this morning. And so here I go. The term science comes from a Latin word called scientia which means knowledge. In modern usage, science often refers to a way of pursuing knowledge. One way, or one method in seeking in which knowledge is acquired is through a process called hypothetical deductive method or reasoning. It is a method that a lot of us use today. Now, to break this down to where we live, what it does is that We take our experiences or the problems that we are facing, we form a conjecture or a hypothesis, we deduce a a prediction from the hypothesis, and then we test the results. We find out whether our test proved whether the hypothesis is real or whether the, 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 the thing or the conjecture that we have put forth doesn't hold water. So, Taking that point of view, in Proverbs 22 and 6, it says this, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The conjecture of the statement is, if we train our children within our ideas, within our lifestyles, if we train our children within our faith, that when they are old or when they are our age, they will not depart from it. Now, how does the conjecture hold true to life's experiences that occur in our parents' lives as well as in our lives? How can we tip the scale in the balance of our children so that the experiences that they have in this generation will match the conjecture of the statement that they will not depart from the faith? We tell you, we, we, I tell you, we are facing a generation where it seems like in other faiths and in other denominations that the, the churches are just emptying out. So how do we stop that? 
How do we stop our younger generation of children, these young people who are, who are going into high school, who are going into grade school, how do we stop them from, from giving up on their faith? How do we stop them from walking out at the church doors and saying that church doesn't have any effect on me? It has no purpose in my life. When I was in my early 20s, I did what we called bus ministry. Today, we might call it outreach. We might call it visitation. But when I was doing outreach, I would do a visitation, a bus ministry, what we called bus ministry, just like Bob and Tony do on Saturday mornings. We would go out and we would visit the kids that go to our Sunday school and we would talk with them and get to know the parents. And, and every once in a while... We would meet kids as we went, would go from door to door, knocking on doors and asking them if they would be interested in letting their children go to church. We would meet parents who said, you know, if the kid wants to go, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. But then we'd also meet parents who would say, I'm not going to force any type of religion on my child. I'm going to let him decide what it's like when he gets older. I'm going to let him choose for himself. Let him make that choice as he is more mature to decide whether he wants to have God in his life or not. So let me ask you this question. Well, do we let our children do their math when they want to do it? Do we let our children clean their room when they want them? You see, we, 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 we want to... We want to put this spiritual thing off to the side and say, no, that's not, that they're not mature enough, and, and, but we're going to let them decide later, but, but yet we'll make them do everything else. How can a child decide for himself whether he has the ability to know the difference between right and wrong if we don't teach it to him? We let our children do many things, but how can they have any spiritual inclination, inclinations if they never have any exposure to that spiritual side. If there's no spiritual teaching by the parents when the child is, is young, then when he is faced with the moral crisis of what is the, the right thing to do or what is the wrong thing to do, how does he choose? When we, when we go to watch... Close your ears for a moment. <laughs> well, it's a good thing I got my back turned. For, for those of us who tend to go to Redbox, when you get to Redbox, one of, the, one of the greatest things that you see there is nothing but demonic movies. Or if they're not demonic, they'll, they'll be... Movies that deal with cutting up and murder and terror. How do we teach our children not to choose those movies? If there's no spiritual insight, if there's no spiritual teaching, how do they know whether or not to watch those movies? What, are they, what do they choose from? What, is it just because mom lets me do it or dad lets me watch it? What, what, what ability do they have to choose about where their soul is going to go when they're 8, 9, and 10 years old? As a society, 
It, it, it seems to be descending more and more into the morass of humanism and secularism. And, and Christian parents in the church at times doesn't seem to be prepared or unable to meet the struggles that face our young people today. There are so many issues coming at our children about, about, about moral issues, about life. There are so many ch- issues coming about choosing between whether we should trust our government to, to, to get, supply all our needs or whether we should trust the church or whether we should trust Aunt Betty or, or anybody else. There, there's so much coming at them. There, there's so much. And you, and you throw into the mix the hormones. Kids has such a, a full plate. We go out into our work every day and we face the, 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 the onslaught of, uh, of meeting the needs of our job as well as facing the, the, the moaning and the groaning and the complaining and all the things that, that you face on your job. And, and, and we come home from work and we're exhausted. But the kids, they have that and so much more. No, they don't face the job. But they go to school where there are all kinds of different families with all kinds of different things going on. And, you know, the child that goes to school and hears about his friend being beat up by the parent. The child who goes to school and finds out that her best friend is pregnant at the age of 12. The child who goes to school and he hears that his friend is talking about suicide because he doesn't feel like there's nothing to live for. The child who goes to school and faces just the, 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 the morality of life that figures out, what am I doing? What am I doing here? What am, how, what am, what am I trying to learn here? And then there's the child who just shows up. He's, he's not mentally into the game. He doesn't care. He, in essence, has lost his hope. And these young people, every day go into that. And they face that and maybe more things than I know. And then you talk about the spiritual side. You talk about the demonic. You talk about the seduction of New Age philosophies that, that are constantly being bombarded upon our children if, if, the, if the generation of secularism can convince this generation that there's no need for God, or that God is not real, or that God isn't going to be able to answer their needs, then this generation is lost. You see, there's an all-out battle, not just for our kids' minds, but for their souls. And the church alone cannot be the only spiritual muscle that is exercised to bring these children into a relationship with their God. Somewhere along the lines, are, we as parents have got to live this life before them so that they can see that it's not just for them. You just can't tell them to do as I say and not as I do. We have to live this before them. We have to give them a reason to serve God, and they can't do it just because we tell them to. Our children are battered on so many sides, both physical and spiritual. On top of all that, they're battered with the idea of materialism or the preoccupation of getting things. And unfortunately, for a lot of us, sometimes the parents are faced with the same situations. We're facing a 
a new year, school year has started and and and, and there, there, there are a, 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 there's a, this core 40 and all this other stuff. There, there seems, I, I, maybe it's just me, but it seems that the, the things that are being taught today, they're, they're, not, they're not teaching the, the important things, they're teaching philosophies. If, if you were to ask them about the U.S. Constitution, do they teach about U.S. Constitution? If they teach about c- civil... Um, classes about civil government or if they teach about uh, different histories or, or world histories or, or American histories, the, the, the things that I was taught they don't teach no more. They've changed the textbook so that, that, that it makes America look like a bully. We, uh, our children are facing the onslaught to make them think that there's no power in church anymore. You see, in a, in a lot of our schools today, they give them access to computers and iPads and notebooks, and they keep very little control on them. We live in a very sexualized society, and you, it's such a bad situation that you can't even watch a, com- a commercial on television without some form of sexuality being prevented or presented. According to Safe Me- uh, Family Safe Media, the pornography industry generates more money than Microsoft, Google, eBay, Yahoo, Apple, Netflix, and Earthlink all combined. It's naive to think that our kids can go into a society faced with that kind of pressure, faced with those kinds of onslaught. You look upon our billboards and you see how they present tobacco products. You look upon our billboards and, and you see how they present the alcoholism. You look upon our billboards and you see the struggles of life going on before their eyes. It's up there in, in 20-foot sections every day. They, they, pay, they, they pass it. And they have to face it. How do we expect our kids to stay morally pure? How difficult is it for a teenager to stay when all these forms of media are coming? If it's not TV, then it's in, in music. Just the other week, uh, just this week, another state has lost its right to determine the definition of marriage, the state of Florida, and the promotion of the gay lifestyle. We may not hear about it anymore, but does anybody remember that the AIDS epidemic is still going on? How much do you want to bet that there's still that that disease is still killing off the gay community, and the news is just not talking about it anymore? They want to promote gay lifestyle. Another problem that our teenagers are facing is the use of drugs and alcohol, both at home and in school. I have talked from my, with my son and my daughter from time to time when I pick them up at school and, and every once in a while when we're at a restaurant or we're someplace else, they'll say, that kid there, he's an alcoholic or he, he drinks a lot or he does drugs. They don't hide it anymore. We have accepted as a society the issue that drugs are okay because we have now promoted the legalization of marijuana in our western states. Well, you say that's in the west. Well, you know, gay marriage started in the east and moved west. You don't think that that's coming this way? You better be prepared. But we have said that drugs are okay anymore. 
Judges 2, 11 says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Are we a judge's generation? For a country that started out and was founded upon the principles of the Word of God, it is now a punishable offense to even mention God in our classrooms. On August 20th, just this last week, in Drysburg, Tennessee, an 18-year-old girl heard a classmate sneeze. And she was showing, just showing some manners, just being polite. And she said, bless you. The teacher in the classroom came unglued. And she became so indignant that she threw out this child and expelled her from her classroom. Sent her down to the office. She told the teacher, well, my pastor and, and my mother and dad said, I can say those things. And the teacher said, well, not in my classroom. Because she sneezed. James 3, 11 and 12 says, Does the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Our young people are facing either or. They face a generation of what's going on in their classrooms and in their lives. Or they have church. What will they accept? What, what is the bitterness? What, what, what is it that, that their fruit's going to produce? What is the, the, the fruit that the church can produce in them to make them to decide to become what they need to be in the eyes of God? Is it any wonder faced with all these maladies of life coming at our teenagers how are they supposed to both survive spiritually and morally as well as socially and still keep their Christian beliefs? Something happens to these young children at two and three years of age or four years of age. They are no longer kids. One day you wake up and they become teenagers and their, their families enter into one of the most dangerous times of their life. I do not, I do not dramatize it. It's the truth. In the years that are following these young people right now, they are going to be laying a foundation of belief. They are going to be laying a foundation of principles in their teenage years that will follow them the rest of their life. If these teenagers in these years decide what is important to them, they are, they, without them even recognizing it or realizing it, they ask themselves two very important questions. One, will I follow the ways of my mom or dad? Or two, will I reject mom and dad's lifestyle and choose a different path? If a young man or a young woman does not find value in what their mom and dad are doing, then they will re totally reject the faith and the lifestyle of their parents and follow the way of the world. It is equally as troubling as, a, as, a, as if it's not enough that they face these pressures, but when they go to school, all it takes sometimes is a charismatic teacher, whether a man or a woman, 
to, to, to present to them some type of a worldview or some type of a world idea that will seduce them to say that they don't need church. Or even worse, they go home to their relatives, to their aunts or to their uncles who don't go to church and they see how their aunts and their uncles are doing well on their job and they, they see how their money is coming in and they don't see the, 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 that they go to church and they say, well, if, if Aunt Julie or Aunt and, and Betty, they, they're doing okay without church, then why do I need church? It's the seduction of our society. And our young people are, 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 are facing so much. Maybe they'll find some friend in church. Or, or excuse me, some, some friend out in the world or someplace else where the peer pressure upon them is so good that they just totally reject church. They totally reject their faith and their God. You see, Satan has laid all kinds of roadblocks in front of our young people. He has laid every kind of a distraction and every kind of pitfall he can to cause this generation of young people to walk out the church doors. If I were to take a survey of young people right here, right now, I would ask them, how many of you right now have a cell phone in your purse, in your pocket, or access to it? You don't have to answer. How many of you have them turned on right now? How many movies, how many programs do we see per week? One, two, five, seven. How many of you are logged on to Facebook? Twitter, or some other social media. In an age where parents are overworked, underpaid, stressed out, and overwhelmed by the cares of life, it is way too easy just to forget that our young people are still needing guidance. It's way too easy to forget that these young people are needing somebody to get them through life, to give them something to build upon, to believe in. Sometimes parents look at children not as a blessing, but as a curse. In Psalms 127.3 it says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. Children are a blessing for the next generation to come. We spend so much time living life, and yet... These children are not listening to what we're saying. They're watching what we're doing. They're watching what you're saying and doing. It's not enough just to say as I do, but are you talking about somebody in church? Are you not living the way they preach it across the, the pulpit? See, it's so easy to, 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 to come here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night and then the rest of the week, what do you do? There's 168 hours in a week and uh, church takes up maybe two, three, if you're lucky, maybe five hours of, of time in that week. What happens to the rest of that week? What, are, what do these guys do with the rest of that week? Sometimes they sleep. Sometimes they go to school, but in, in, in that interim of, of those few hours that the church has, that somehow the church has to instill in them 
a desire to serve God. And I want to say, I, want, I, I really want to say this, and I mean this with all my heart. We have a great pastor who has given himself to not only leading adults, but he has set up a structure within this church to want to see our young people saved. And even more, I, I'm, I'm very thankful. I'm very thankful for the Sunday school teachers that are out there. You know, we, we, we watch these, these young kids, these three- and four-year-olds come down here, and sometimes they'll, they'll, they'll play a little bit like they're praying, but, but that's okay. We want them familiar with our altars. We want our children, our young children, our, those two, three, and five-year-olds to become familiar with us. We don't want this to be a strange place. We don't want this to be a taboo place. We want them to know that this, this is a place where they can feel welcome. My son and my daughter both at the age of seven, maybe Andrea was eight, I don't remember which, um, got the Holy Ghost down at these altars. Was it six? And, and that's not just my children. Some of your children have done the same thing. You know what that is? That's, that's those Sunday school teachers out there. That's what they're doing right now. They're teaching them. They're instilling them in a desire what, who God is and what God is and what He's for. We've got a great bunch of Sunday school teachers. And, and I am so blessed. It's, it's a blessing to see our teenagers on Sunday night down here worshiping. It's a, it's a blessing to see that they still have a connection with God. We need to continue to nurture that. We need to continue to give them a reason to come and experience this great love that God has for each of us. So we, we have set up the hypothesis. We have talked about the experiences. I want to talk about a man by the name of Josh McDowell who wrote a book on the last Christian generation. He writes, In the past years, between the age of uh, 55% and 65% of those who were church young peoples, in past years they said church would still play an important part of their lives when they left home. Today, today that number has dropped down to 33%. Before Rick Warren of, of, of Saddleback Community Church started his ministry, he wanted to find out why people did not attend church anymore. The number one complaint was that Church was boring, especially the sermons. Research, excuse me, <clears throat> research tells us that kids know that church cares about their souls. But at the same time, they don't really tell them how to develop that relationship and that, that idea of how to, to love God or to serve God through the rough times. And if that child... If that child does not receive salvation by the age of 13, the chances of that child being saved rise exponentially. The same research, research showed that teenagers that were surveyed 
74, 74% of them uh, admitted that they really don't have life figured out. Do you have life figured out, Dara? Anybody else? I'd like to find out. <laughs> but they don't have life figured out. 63% said that they really don't have any comprehensive or clear philosophy about life that they could use that they, they could use consistently on how to make decisions concerning their lives. So as gloomy and as desire as 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 dire of a situation that has been painted, if I can get those words out, there is still hope for our young people. For those of you who are still coming to church, I want to tell you that church does have the answer for the needs that you are facing in life. There were 2,000 Christian leaders surveyed to, to identify what are the top issues or concerns facing kids today. 84% said their kids needed to learn how to, ha to have or experience a transformed life in Christ. 41% said that their kids needed to learn how and why they believe. 35% said kids need to learn how to develop a healthy relationship. 23% said that kids needed to learn how to resist ungodly influences. 18% said that kids need to discover how to make the right choices. You see, it would be easy, and, 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 and I know parents who have done it, to, to build a wall of isolation around our children and say, I'm not... I'm not going to send them out into the world. I'm going to keep them home. But that's not God's way. God didn't build a church for all of us to hide within the four walls and let the world pass by. Somebody didn't do that for us. We've got to teach our children not to hide from the world, but how to function in the world and how to be a light in a world so that the world can see them. Not as objects to, to, to seduce, but as objects that they can go to and find some answers to the questions lying in all these young people. We can't afford to let our young people with the, to, to form the ideas that I don't want to hide from the world or I don't want to be a part of the world, so I'll hide from it. And sometimes we make that easy by giving them games, gaming systems that will keep them inside all day long. So what can a church do? How does Christian parents tip the balance of indecision? John MacArthur in his book titled Successful Christian Parenting suggests, for one thing, we need to understand that the children need someplace safe. They need, we as parents need to plant what he calls shade trees to protect them from the heat of anti-Christian values and anti-Christian world. What is he talking about? He's talking about putting inside the, our young people the, the, the moral values that the Bible talks about, giving them the tools to be able to rely upon that when they're facing those, those indecisions, those moral choices, the bedrock foundation of what they believe will give them the strength to say no. It's a shade tree. 
It's a shade tree when they know that they don't succumb to the temptation of an immoral relationship. It's a shade tree for them to know that they shouldn't let a young man roam his hands over their body or a young woman to, 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 to seduce them because it's morally wrong. It's a shade tree to tell them that abortion is not acceptable, that it's not right. It's a shade tree to know that lying will only get you into worse trouble. And that when you tell the truth, it'll protect you in the long run. You see, a child's most important influences in this life is not so much the media, it's not so much the movies, but it's we as parents. You see, we can shut off the, the, the radios, we can shut off the, the, the TVs, we can not buy the movies, but every day you and I walk before our children, we're saying something to them. And I'm not talking about clean room. I'm talking about the idea that, you know, uh, I, I, I'm not going to talk about this person or that person. I, I, I'm not going to go to that restaurant because... They serve alcohol, or I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna talk like I'm not. I'm not gonna talk filthy. I'm not gonna talk and cuss, and then come to church and say praise the Lord. You see, we as parents broadcast so much. We as parents broadcast how you believe in God. We sang the song this morning. I believe in you. But when we stand before our children, are the things that we're doing, are they saying that we believe? Are the things that we say to our young people in our actions saying that this is, this is I, I, I believe the way the church is preaching? You see... These children look to us as leaders to the next generation. I over, and I've probably said this before, but when my children were growing up, my wife took a lot, of, took care of a lot of their physical needs and 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 all a lot of the the parenting skills. And uh, but now now our children are in their teenage years. And you know who they're looking for? They're looking for me on how to lead them. They're, they're looking to their father to help them through some of the rougher times, how to deal with life that's coming at them. Not because my wife isn't capable, but it's the way God has made us. It's the, the father is a protector of the home. The father is the leader of the home. And yes, the mother nurtures our children. Our mothers nurture our children, but the, the children at a certain age will quit following mom. And they want to know how. How can I walk out into a world that's full of all these things and make it as a Christian? You and I are those lights to these children. And it's not enough for us just to say, 
but we are written epistles that these young people are watching. I know this is not the same lesson that was in the book, but I couldn't deal with the book because the book left me asking questions that I could not answer. You see, the Scripture tells you and me that we, when we come into a church, must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. But sometimes we forget that these young people also need to understand that they have a sin nature in them. And if we're going to give them the strength to make it through to a world, it's more than, than just the saying of, of, of doing things. But they have to understand that they need a personal relationship with their God too. You see, Galatians 5 talks about in these young people, there are all kinds of lusts. In these young people, there's anger and murder and, and other desires that, that, that the flesh just craves. There's envy and strife. There, there's so much that, that, that is within this body of flesh that our young people are doing, dealing with. And the only way that they're going to overcome the world is first have a relationship with our Lord and Savior. They need to have a regenerated soul if they're going to deal with the things that are coming into the world. They too must be born again if they are to fight against the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. It's not enough to say that our children are going to be all right. They can choose later in life. But we got to lead by example. we got to live by example so that they can decide to follow Christ just like we made that same decision. Another way to teach our children how to survive is to put in them wisdom. How do we put in wisdom? We put it through the Word of God. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, And thou shalt teach them, diligent, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest down in thy, thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Do you know the best time to teach your children? I've probably said this before too. But it's at the dinner table. James Dobson, the Christian psychologist, says the best time for the family to connect is at the dinner table. You can ask my daughter or my son, when we sit down to dinner, whatever they're watching, whatever they're doing, it goes off. Unfortunately, I don't know, but we're sitting in the middle of dinner and the phone will ring. It's kind of weird, but... Um, the reason why is because those are distractions. If we take our dinner plates to the living room and turn on our TV sets while we're eating dinner, there's no connection. There's no connection with our children. It's just another experience of life. How, how do we know how they're feeling? How do we know how their day's gone? How do we know how they're, how, how, how they're, they're, they're getting through their homework or if they're not getting through their homework? I had a discussion with my wife a couple of days ago, and uh, I want to be careful how I say this, but um, we were sitting, it was me and my wife and John were sitting at the dinner table, and uh, 
I, I, there's some stuff going on in my job, and um, I was called to human resources and asked some questions. And uh, my wife made the comment, well, maybe this is way, God's way of getting rid of your boss. My response was, you know, whether it is or it is not, does not matter to me. And, and, and my son was sitting right there. I said, but what matters to me is my attitude. You see, I can't change my boss's attitude. I, I can't change my co-worker's attitude. I can't change my wife's attitude. <laughs> Will you tell me how it's done? <laughs> But you see, the only one I can change is me. And, and, and if, I'm, if I'm going to make it, if, I, if I'm going to keep a Christian attitude, I've got to find a way to change me so that I can work through the struggles or the situations on my job. But you know, the point of what I'm making here is not the fact that we were talking about it, but my son was sitting right there. That happened at the dinner table. When we sit down as a family, it keeps us as a family unit. There are so many things that pull us away. There's sports, there's, there's uh, activities at church, there's church itself. There's so many, so many different things, and, and none of them in, in and of itself may be wrong, but it takes us away from the home. And if we're going to instill Christian values in our families and in our homes... There has to be a connection point. And it's the dinner table is one of those avenues that we can connect as a family and we shut off all electronic devices and we just sit down and we talk as a family. We are... I, I can't remember what, the, 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 what started it. When my children were just babies, I decided... And my wife concurred that on Sundays, we, we, don't, we don't do anything. You, you can read a book. You can, you can entertain yourself somehow. But that monitor is not coming on. And I left that whole... I, I leave Sundays as a day of unplugging from all the other things that are, are in our lives. Do I make exceptions? Yeah, there's some exceptions to the rule. I wasn't hard-nosed about it. But I, I want my children to know, I want my kids to know that at, at some point you've got to unplug and let God speak to you. And you've got to let God, the only way God's going to get in there if, is if for a few moments of time is if we're quiet before the Lord. And, and the only way that we're going to make a difference in our children is to, she, to shield them from, from, from the outside influences in our home for, for a few moments of time so that, that they have a chance to, 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 to regroup. We do it as, as adults. We come home from work, and for a few moments of time before we get into things, we need to sit down and, and, and just unwind for, for, for a few moments and then get up and do things. But we need to put in our, our children the idea that wisdom does not come from the world. 
It doesn't come from the boob tube. It doesn't come from the radio. It doesn't come from, chi- uh, from, from Twitter or, or, or Facebook. Real, lasting wisdom comes from the Word of God. When I get up every morning, one of the first things I do is I open up my Bible and I read it. Before I go to work, before I take a shower, I'll sit down with a cup of coffee and I'll read my Bible. Because I too need that Word of God. I too need that direction. And it's that Bible, that Word of God. And I have learned so much. I have learned so much just by reading. If nothing else, we need to read to our children out of the book of Proverbs. Why? Because in Proverbs you can learn about the fear of God. In Proverbs you can learn about guarding against wrong thoughts. In Proverbs, you can learn about obeying your parents. In Proverbs, you can learn about how to select the right friends. In Proverbs, you can learn about how to control your lusts. In Proverbs, you can learn how to, how to, what not to watch and what not to look at. You see, the goal of teaching our children is to grow, have them grow in the wisdom and in the stature and in favor with God and man. Successful parenting cannot be achieved by following just human techniques or human psychology. But true success in parenting is the result of faithful obedience to God's ways and God's instructions for the family. We must put in our children core values that when everything else fails for them, these values will stand. Values of like a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Values of how to build a godly character within them. Values that teach about servanthood and not about who I am and what I am. Values that will instill a thirst for the Word of God. Values that will teach how to have godly friendships and godly relationships. At some point, you see, these young people are going to grow up and they're going to have to decide, are these the things that I want to believe in and stand for? Or am I going to reject all of it and see what the world has to offer? You see, the parents, as parents, we, at some point we have to let those, those kids go. Are we going to equip them for the next generation? Or are we the last generation? Only we can decide how we're going to let our church grow. Let's stand. Luke 6... 47 and 48 says this, Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man that built his house and digged deep down and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the floods arose and the streams beat vehemently upon that house, that it could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. There are so many storms of life ahead of him. There are so many struggles that, are, that they're facing yet. We want to give them the foundation that will not be shaken, and that is in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this time, Lord, that we can stop and dwell and think about this next generation of young people. God, I thank you for a church that still believes that Lord, our, ch- our, our young people need a relationship with Jesus Christ that, that
that God, that this church it goes out of its way to help them to have that. But Lord, there are so many who don't have the guidance of the church. Help us, Lord, to instill in these young people a desire to live for Christ, that their lights may shine to their friends and to their friends' friends and to those in school, that they may ask what they are living for and why they're living the way they are so that they can tell them about Jesus Christ. God, I ask that you would bless our young people and keep your hand upon them and protect them. And I ask for these adults that are here within my hearing that, God, that you would bless them and help them, Lord, to be examples for their young people and for their children. We ask your blessings upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you.